0: listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast.
1: This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is sponsored by Great Northern Bow Company. At Great Northern Bow Company, they design and build every bow with you in mind and with respect for the long and noble hunter-gatherer lineage we are all connected to. They build hunting bows, bows designed to make you the very best bow hunter you can be. How do they do it? By paying attention to what really matters in a bow, stability, smoothness of draw, reliability, performance, refined design, and by using carefully selected materials. Their bows have an understated beauty and refinement of appearance that will make them hold their appeal for a lifetime, and they still build their bows one at a time by hand. So consider making your next custom bow a great northern bow. And in the meantime, be sure to check out their website at GNBCO.com. Welcome to the
0: Traditional Outdoors Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Steve Angel. And I got Nick with me. What's up, brother? Man, it feels like fall outside and bow hunting season starts tomorrow. And I'm going out Saturday. So I am excited. Finally. A little bit of normalcy in the woods should be great what about you
1: well i finally got out last weekend uh in fact we've got a um, well the, you we talked about it on the podcast the the neighborhood kid that I, I hired to mow the yard he's he just turned 16 he got his got his driver's license which in this day and age is very odd most kids just don't care about getting their license like we did mm-hmm. but uh he got guy's licensed, he's trying to, you know, pay for his insurance, pay for his gas, so he was asking, you know, people in the neighborhood about mowing the yard, and I told him, you know what, go right ahead, it'll give me more time for strings and so forth, so he's been mowing the yard, and a couple of weeks ago, I went out to pay him after he'd finished, and he asked me if I still hunted Dawson Forest, WMA, and I, you know, I told him I, I didn't last year, but I was, I was planning to this year, and he said, well, you know, if if you're going, I'd love to go with you. So I've actually been kind of looking forward to that. Uh, carried him out Saturday afternoon. I wanted to carry him in mid of the day, middle of the day so I could show him a few things. We were walking in, uh, and he hunted Saturday afternoon, and then I picked him up real early Sunday morning and went back up there. He hunted the same spot Saturday, and uh, I did as well. And it was up there. It was on that same track that when you were down here that summer for that uh, conference you had that we spent that weekend scouting up in the mountains. Yep, uh, that was the track we were on. Uh, but just not a lot of acorns falling, um, and so much, just so much greenery. I mean, on a on a on a piece of land like that, I mean, really, th- those deer could get up, eat drink and have total security and never move more than 20 yards all day long so um i think it'll be you know better up there a little later in the season i'm gonna try to you know hunt up there at least once maybe twice more before you know it closes out for for gun hunting but it was man it was so good to be out um it it just just enjoyable to be out there it wouldn't matter if i'd seen a thing yeah you looked (laughs) you looked
0: super excited man in your in your little live cast that you did,
1: yeah, I'm gonna try to start doing more of that now that you know I see that it works, and I know you and I have been talking about um, possibly doing some some pod, recording the podcast, but also doing them as as live feeds. Uh, would like to have done that on this one, but we kind of did this one a a bit impromptu, so uh, people listening kind of kind of look for that. We're we're gonna try to be doing that sometime in the
0: in the next few weeks yep cool it's exciting
1: so are you are you you you're heading out this weekend
0: yep i'm heading out this weekend i'd like to go tomorrow uh you know but the girls got standardized testing their first test in the morning um so i was going to go in the morning uh but i think it's just better that i'm here to make sure everything works right and and you know that's just more important so um, i'm going to do that um it's actually raining a lot right now tomorrow's supposed to be a damp cold morning so it should probably probably be pretty good but um yeah i might i might try to sneak out friday night or uh, and i'm for sure i've got all day saturday i can hunt and uh, i'll probably sneak out sunday morning too so got you. um saturday i'd like to go to uh to the spot you know maybe visit john and hunt with him but um we'll have to see how how work goes with him this weekend and otherwise i might just go up there anyway and check out a couple spots but um otherwise i'm gonna try a couple spots here uh one i looked at the other day and probably one corner i haven't hunted yet on the land i've been hunting since like 2011 so that i found some cool some cool little runs on so yeah probably gonna do that but i'm excited i gotta get all my stuff out and and uh I actually just ordered a warm weather base layer today, just a cheap one because I'm like I man, I'm tired of not having a warm weather base layer and with my luck with the way things have been going with with dermatitis and stuff, I'm like, yep, I'm going to do this. So, I got to get some uh, permethrin too at some point. But
1: yeah, I didn't do that this weekend and I probably should, but I I did not see I did not see any ticks and uh the the kid that was with me, he didn't either, so I don't know i'm sure they're still around here but uh i probably should have and didn't but i'm hoping i'm actually hoping tomorrow afternoon uh i've got several places i can hunt within 30 minutes of my house so i'm actually going to try to as soon as i uh can can punch the clock so to speak with work uh tomorrow i'm actually going to try to get out and get a few hours in tomorrow afternoon and then i might might hunt sunday bella's uh coming home for the weekend uh friday so I'll be spending, you know, Friday evening and and Saturday with her. Sunday morning, uh, she'll probably head back. Middle of the day, heading back to school. So, Sunday afternoon, I'll probably try to get out and hunt again, and then we'll just kind of go from there.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty much un- woefully unprepared. Well, at least I felt that way when I saw Jason, Jason Koviak's post. You know, he's been posting; it feels like hourly you know, leading up, right. to, leading up to deer season and he's got his van and his clothes all laid out and he's got a sled and a stand and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, he is just chomping at the bit. And I feel like I haven't done anything and I really haven't done much, but you know, like, like you said, I don't really care. I just want to be out there this year. So I'm just happy to be able to go and do that. So, yeah. You
1: know, you know it's funny you mentioned that because I was actually watching, um, one of his videos about, uh, hunting terrain features while i was waiting on you to uh to hop on the the meeting here and uh it's so funny listening to jason um because he and i'm not trying i I think jason's probably been doing i know he's been doing his hunting style longer than i have uh but just listening to the things that he does and how he hunts and it's the same thing that i do uh you know robert carter i want to get to spend a weekend with Robert Carter, either during hunting season or, you know, after maybe chasing some pigs or something to better understand his, Warren Womack's, Chris Spikes, those guys, uh, you know, their approach to actually looking for active food sources and setting up and hunting the food sources where Jason and I, uh, or I'll, I'll just say I hunt more like Jason does where I know generally where the food sources are I know generally where the bedding areas are, and I try to look for um, terrain features uh, that naturally will funnel the deer within, you know, shot range of me mm-hmm. when they're moving between the two. Uh, so it's really kind of interesting, just the the different approaches that people take. And personally, I think if you can if you can mix them both together, you're you know, anytime you can fu- can learn more about a, a method that somebody else has been using successfully and very successfully for many years you're just adding to your to
0: your tool belt yep then you just sprinkle in a whole lot of luck on top um, of all that
1: <laughs> unless you're talking about some of these, like robert carter and and chris spikes and those i i honestly don't think it's got much luck to do with it but <laughs> those guys are just natural born killers
0: yeah pretty much
1: uh and you know one thing that i was i sit here while i was listening to you and i was i was just thinking about Uh, what we're going to cover for most of the podcast today is a couple things that I actually want to make sure I mention this time because I've said I was going to mention it um, in previous episodes and I keep forgetting it. Uh, The first and foremost is a shout out to our friends over at Blood Brothers Forge. They reached out to me a few weeks back and I posted about it on on Facebook and they have made some really cool um, leather strike plates and air rest for traditional bows. They have the the older traditional outdoors logo on them. The strike plates in the shape of a of an arrowhead. Very cool stuff. And and we're going to be giving some of those away. Now, the idea for me giving those away is I'm going to be looking and just randomly selecting a uh, comment that's been left on iTunes. So if you're subscribed to the podcast. Go out and leave a comment. Leave us a rating on the podcast, and we're going to start picking from those and give these away. I think I've probably got something like 15 sets or so. Um, And no cost to you, I'll just call out the name. If you hear it on the podcast, reach out to me, and I will make sure I get those in the mail to you. But this week, and you'll get a kick out of this, um, every now and then we'll get an email to the show, somebody asking a question from from an episode, and I got one of those this week. Um, and I want to, I want to cover what the, this gentleman asked, and he's going to get one of these, uh, uh, strike plates and, and, and air rests from, uh, Blood Brothers Forwards. But his, the na- the gentleman's name is Preston Taylor. And he, he reached out to me and said that, um, he said some really nice things about the podcast, but he had a specific question when we did our episode. Um, I don't know, a couple months back, we were talking about things to do you know, during COVID lockdown and we were talking about getting your equipment ready and getting your broadhead sharp. And if you didn't feel like you were really good at sharpening broadheads, now's the time to be practicing. You remember that? Uh-huh. that? Well, he Well, he was basically asking what size files that I use or, or, you know, I would kind of recommend. And it was, I had to respond to him and tell him, that, well, that's a depends kind of question because I don't necessarily use the same size file all the time. Um, And without picking on one of our mutual buddies and no, the, the big files better attitude. Um, uh, What I told it was, if I've got a, a new broadhead that I'm sharpening for the first time, I'm gonna be reaching for one, one of those big honking, you know, eleven, twelve inch
0: mill bastard old, files. Old, old sixteen, the old number <laughs> sixteen mill bastard <laughs> file. <laughs> one step, one step down from the farrier rasp.
1: <laughs> uh, exactly. I mean, I'm, I wanna I wanna see shavings fly off of these heads that first time. But what I'm what I'm doing there is I'm I'm marking that that edge from front to back with a black sharpie, and I'm really wanting to get that bevel consistent from front to back across that entire broadhead. And in most cases, uh, in most of the heads that I've used, when they come out of the pack, it's going to shock you how much how much metal you might have to take off. At first to get that bevel the same from the point all the way to the back of the blade so if you're using new heads or you're using heads that you've never trued up that edge you're gonna need a big file to do that heavy work Um, once you get that bevel right though you can really drop down to I would say my favorite is probably a six inch uh, mill bastard file Mm -hmm. I have used fours um, and I've used eights but I think six is probably my favorite Um, and even for me, when I when I first start that, uh, once I've got the bevel like I want it, and I really want to start putting an edge on, I'm using pretty steady pressure at the beginning, but as I as I continue working that edge, I'm getting lighter and lighter. And Nick, you you've seen me sharpen enough heads that by the time I get to the end. I'm almost using just the weight of the file itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll follow that up with a strop or cardboard or, uh, ceramic sticks or the edge of my window or whatever that is. So if anyone else had heard that and they were wondering the same thing, uh, thanks to Preston for asking that question. And, and for that, I'll be, uh, getting your address and sending you one of these, um, air rest and strike plates from blood brother forge. And next week, Nick, you got to help me remember the next time we get together to record, make sure that I, uh, if I don't have one handy, i go in and pull uh, a comment or a, a review from iTunes, and we'll we'll give another one away on the next episode.
0: Gotcha, no problem.
1: Okay, um, I know we want we want to get to talking about um, John Schultz. Um, for those that that don't know, um, John Schultz recently passed away. Uh, I think it's been a little over a week ago now. It may have actually been two weeks, but it's it's been a little bit of time um both nick and i are are kind of fans of of john if you don't know who john is we're going to give you a little bit of insight into that as we start talking about it it's definitely somebody if you don't know much about john you probably want to do a little research and we're going to be able to help you there too um but before i do that um when we had kent rollins on uh the last episode one of the things that that i asked kent and i think we even mentioned it while we were recording. Um, was that you know I would picked up one of his cookbooks I've since picked up the other one um, and there's some really really good writing in here and some good articles and I'd asked Kent one specifically if he would mind if I read that on the air so I'm gonna I'm gonna do that or on the podcast um, so I'm gonna do that and it's uh, I think when we when we were talking about this particular story when we had Kent on uh, was when I told the story about Leroy so when I go through this story, I think you'll see why it reminded me so much of that story and I got a good chuckle out of it. But uh huge shout out to Kent. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate him being on the show. Um really enjoyed that and I've I've continued my excursions into more cast iron cooking, which that's a that's a story for another day, but um I guess I need to get my reading voice on, and I'll I'll read through this article real quick. Then we'll get to talking about John Schultz.
0: Sound good? Sounds good to me.
1: Okay, clear my throat. throat. All right, so this is Leon Goes to Church by Kent Rollins. I've been blessed to meet a lot of good folks from cooking on ranches and traveling the country catering. A very special person and someone I call a dear friend is a man by the name of Leon. He's a fifth-generation cowboy, and if you look up cowboy in the dictionary, Leon's picture should be there. He's one of the most devout Christians I've ever been around, but surprisingly, he's never set foot inside a church. Leon would tell me, you know, Kent, the pew I sit on is my saddle. The pulpit I hear a sermon from is my saddle horn. That's where I feel closest to God, just sitting there on horseback. Well, it was several years ago that Leon had to move off the family ranch near Mountaineer, New Mexico, to a smaller place in Elida due to health concerns. It was hard for him to leave the ranch that he had lived on forever. He called me up and asked if I wouldn't mind helping him and his wife Darla move things from his old ranch to their new place. When I pulled up to their house in Mountaineer, I noticed Leon had two black eyes. Now, Leon is not a man to fight, so I couldn't figure out what might have happened. When I got out of the truck, I asked him, Leon, where did you get those black eyes? You ain't going to believe this, Kent. I got them in church. Well, I knew I had to hear this story. So Leon went on. I was bringing seven yearling, seven yearling bulls out of that pasture on the back side of the ranch. And you know that little country church that sits just across the road? Well, I heard the most beautiful music coming out of there and I just decided I'd leave them bulls there and go into that church. I took off my hat and my spurs so I wouldn't be making no racket, and I found an open spot back in the back. Well, as soon as I got settled down, the preacher said, y'all stand and we'll sing hymn 368. Now, Kent, it was really hot in that church, and I noticed that a tremendously large woman was standing in front of me. Now, due to perspiration... Her dress had gathered there on her in a most unbecoming spot. I thought to myself, I'll help this poor woman out. So ever so slowly, I plucked her dress out of where it had stuck. (laughs) When I did, that woman swung around and clocked me right there in the eye. (laughs) Well, Leon, that explains the one black eye, but what happened to the other one? Kent, I just cowboyed up. Because she didn't want it out of there, I just pushed it (laughs) right back in. (laughs) So so I'm sitting here reading this, sitting on the couch the night before we had Kent on the show. Um, Had just finished eating dinner, and we're sitting there, and I'm reading this thing, and I start laughing uncontrollably, and Lori's asking me, what in the world is wrong with you? You're You're reading a cookbook, and you're laughing like... Anyway, uh, I I love that story. So uh, you got to get one of these, Nick. Because there's I, some really good articles. I in do. Really I actually,
0: is. I'm I'm, uh, I'm asking for it for Christmas. If I don't get it, you know, if I don't feel like I'm going to get it, I'm buying it anyway. But yeah, that's awesome.
1: Well, Kent, thank you again for letting me share that. Um, and for, for anybody listening, if you if you want a a good book that has a lot of good recipes and a lot of other good content, be sure to check out. Uh, kent's cut cookbook, cookbooks all you gotta do is search for kent rollins you'll find them everywhere okay so with that out of the way um john schultz i i really don't know where to
0: begin i think you should probably begin how well the two of us kind of got acquainted with john schultz or at least i got acquainted with john schultz is that you uh you gave me that john schultz trophy hunter and that's how that's what the first time i heard of john schultz
1: yeah yeah i mean uh, and i guess maybe that's a good way to start the story is to kind of go b- back a little bit further before i before i handed that bow off to you um when i when i when i first started shooting traditional gear um like most people i picked up a recurve first um i struggled uh now when i say i struggled i could shoot the bow um i could generally hit a target i couldn't hit my target if that makes sense i mean it 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 i could definitely you know i could shoot a 3d course and i could you know 18 out of 20 shots i would put it in the phone but it wasn't it wasn't consistent if i you know if, if i got a um a scoring shot of course i acted like it was intentional but <laughs> I, I knew the truth you know um and i kept shooting i kept and i got better but i never really found that consistency that i was really looking for um and you've been up to our the property our our local clubs on up in Gainesville mm-hmm. uh, i was up there i i somebody had told me i needed to go up there and just try some different bows so I went up there one Sunday, um, and a gentleman by the name of Joe Coots. So a lot of people know who Joe is. Joe is about as fine a human being as you'll ever, you'll ever meet. Um, somehow I got hooked up with Joe, and I can't remember now if somebody told me to try to hook up, uh, sync up with Joe, or if maybe Joe had actually responded to me on Trad Gang. He was, he was real active in, at Trad Gang for quite some time. But anyway, I, I got together with Joe uh, and Joe was shooting longbow and I didn't shoot his longbow a lot, but I can tell you the first few times I shot that longbow, I was like, okay, yeah, this is different. This is while I, while I don't, I was definitely not, you know, any kind of uh trick shot or, or super marksman with it. I was definitely felt more consistent. It just felt more natural. So at some point in the next week or so, maybe even a couple weeks, I posted a, a want to buy on Trad gang And I really didn't know what I was looking for at the time. I just wanted to get a longbow. And I got a few responses, and I ended up I actually ended up buying two bows off of that thread. <laughs> the first one that I bought was a um, uh, Northern Mist. It was a believe it was a shelton i'm almost pre- i'm almost positive it was. it was a 68 inch bow 55 at 28 and it was a pretty bow nothing wrong with it and after i had already committed to that bow there was another gentleman sent a message and said i've got a, a john schultz american longbow trophy hunter and it's i want to say you can tell me what the weight is because i forgotten now but it was something like 59 at 27
0: yeah it's it's a weird weight yeah, it's something like it's that. in between yeah somewhere in there but yeah
1: and i honestly didn't know who john schultz was at the time so we went back and forth and you know the guy told me a little bit more about it and just because of the um the history of the bow and i didn't know anything about northern mist either so it, was, it wasn't a, a brand thing um i ended up buying that bow as well um I got both the bows here, and I started shooting them, and I will be perfectly honest with you. From a perspective of just getting out and enjoying shooting the bow, I probably enjoyed shooting the Northern Mist a little bit better than I did the Trophy Hunter. Um, And I can almost tell you today what the difference would have been at that time but i wasn't i didn't know enough about what i was dealing with to know the difference sure and that being the northern mist had a fast light string on it it the string didn't feel spongy all the time it just it felt more crisp more consistent to me and i can tell you looking back now that's probably why i liked it a little bit better but the longer i had the bow the more time i spent getting to know more about John Schultz then I found about, you know, basically he, and we're going to talk a little bit more about some of this, but he, he basically learned to shoot, um, under Howard Hills, um, tutelage. Mm -hmm. And anyway, the more I learned about the bow, I was like, this is the coolest bow. Right. So I started hunting with that bow. And that is, that is that bow that you've got is the bow that I took my first whitetail with traditional gear with. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, can still take you to the exact tree I was in. I can show you the exact spot the doe was in when I shot. Uh, you've hunted. In fact, the morning that that we, um, the morning we came, the day we we came back from Myrtles Creek and spent an extra day hunting on McGraw Ford and had <laughs> that 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 hog charge in on us uh, was within a hundred yards of where I shot that my first doe with our first whitetail with a longbow. Oh, so. Anyway, that bow that bow, had a, a good bit of meaning to me, still does. Um, but when you were talking about, you know, really wanting to, to seriously make an effort to shoot and hunt with a hill-style bow, it just made sense for me to send that your way. And, and I think this year needs to be the year you actually do
0: that. I'd like to do that this year. I was talking about it last year, too. Um, but it always, it always comes out with me a couple times during the season um and for some reason i don't know why i do it but i usually take it out with me uh late season for some reason i don't know why it doesn't make any sense because it's colder late season and that's a heavier bow than i'm used to shooting because um, i think at my draw it's pulling i don't know it, it's actually deceptive how heavy it is because it's such a smooth casting bow it It it, it It really, it really is. And, and it's, it is, it's, you know, it's got the, it's got the Dacron on it. It's a little spongy. I'm used to fast flights, but it, it shoots so good. And I, and the thing with that bow is I always fall back into it when I shoot it. It doesn't take me any time to switch over. Um, the grip is just really, is just perfect. But yeah, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to get that out there this year. For a while I got you know i i found out that they were quite valuable and i was like wow man i don't want to take this thing i'm i'm terrible on bows i don't want to take this thing out and cut it all up but then i thought about it and i was like i can't leave this no there it wasn't meant to be sitting on that rack the whole time that's why you got rid of it <laughs> so um i'm gonna shoot well, it. i
1: think i think i think we just we well, i think we ended up deciding that it was really just on permanent temporary loan pretty much so. <laughs> but you you hunt you hunt with it you hunt with it all you want it one at one point I do think I'm gonna want it I'm gonna want it back and I'm gonna want to hunt with it again oh yeah and um, I have always
0: kind of looked at it as your bow that I wanted to close my chapter out with it but I haven't done that yet came close came close a couple times but I haven't quite done it yet
1: you'll get there i mean it's it's like i said i i I love the bow um uh, for various reasons and i'll be honest the main reason i stopped hunting with it uh, at the time was i had actually moved up in weight and i was shooting some heavier bows and really still still am although the bow that i've been hunting with for the last four or five years um at a 28 inch draw is not that much different than that that schultz bow so you know it, it would it i would fall right back into hunting with that thing no problem um but anyway we wanted to talk about John Schultz uh a, a, a little bit. We're probably going to bounce around a, a couple of different topics related to uh to John, but if you if you've never heard of John Schultz um and you want to learn more about him, you know, do some searches on the internet. Uh you'll have this episode, we're going to talk about a couple of things that you can go out and look for that you could find out a little bit more about uh John, but I, I will tell you if you don't know who he is, you really you really need to know more about John Schultz. Uh so with that, Nick, I think a good place to start here, and it might, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of chance to talk too. I know we were we talked about doing this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it kind of bubbled back up to the surface today. We were trading some messages online, and uh, one of the first things you did was you actually sent me a, an article back that I have never, I don't think I've read it, I don't remember ever reading it, uh, it's from Traditional Bowhunter Magazine. Uh, give me one second here. October, November, nineteen ninety-four. It was written by Gene Winsel, and it's the name of the article is "Master of the Arts: uh, An Interview with John Schultz." And I know where there there were a couple of things that you had actually uh, kind of focused in on that was in this article. So, you know, what what what's what's one or two of the things that really just stuck out to you as you were reading through this and then we'll go back and forth i guess
0: well the funny thing about the funny thing about john schultz is after i found out more about who he was and i knew a little bit about his bow making and that he was a he was a the purest howard hill disciple in shooting and bow making that exists and that's kind of where gene is going with this article or that is where that is where he's going with this article and he
1: kind of started making bows by making bows for Howard. He
0: did. He did. And that was around... Uh, he started making bows with Howard, I think. And then in like 1945 in the article, he st- that was the, at the time where Howard kind of said, you know what, I don't mind taking a back seat. And then they, him and... Uh, he started doing it. Now, but I did not know that... I For one, I didn't know John had a brother, Dan. Dan Schultz and John Schultz. And the first thing I'll say is that I didn't know, I knew that there was an affiliation there and I thought it was a working relationship, but actually Howard Howard thought of John and Dan, like his own sons and spent a great deal of time tutoring them in shooting and in bow making. So there was more of a father son relationship there than I thought there was. And you can tell by the way John speaks about Howard in the interview and uh, also, you know, when you watch his, he's got videos out there and stuff like that. And just just in the way that he stayed true to the way Howard did things, he felt it was important to preserve it. And He only had one teacher and that was Howard, he says. So, like it or lump it, that's where he was. But you could just tell there was a great deal of respect, so much so that he felt he needed to preserve everything. And did and th- I thought that was really really interesting I, I did not know that that, that was the case um,
1: you, you know in, in, in hearing you talking about that there was one thing that jumped out at me as I was reading this article and I'm, I've got the article here in front of me but rather than ruffling papers and having it come through on the podcast I I think I'll just talk to some of it instead of reading anything directly myself um well and I, you know i may i may get a link from you and we'll throw a link in the show notes for anybody listening thing go and find this but i know one thing that you and i have talked about i don't know that we've talked about it on the on the podcast but i know we've had this conversation um is some of the things that are written in um howard hill's book hunting the hard way and john actually calls some of that out as basically paraphrasing here but basically he says you know he's heard people say that they didn't really uh necessarily believe something some of the uh shots that howard took while he was hunting and so forth and and having been around howard and seen howard shoot and seen some of the things that howard's done while hunting he can definitely you know say without a doubt they really happened um and there's a whole nother discussion there that I don't know if we, we want to go down that path, but I know there's one that he mentions in this article and I want to say it was something like 185 yards. He shot at a, as a, at an elk mm-hmm. and he shot low the first time, high the second time. And the third time he was right on the money. And, you know, I know that's there's something along those lines is something that you and I've had this discussion before about, uh, ah, come on, really? um, And part of me reads something like that and thinks, I'll just just come out and say it. I don't care if it's hard here or not. It's irresponsible. Mm -hmm. However, when I sit and really start thinking about it, there's, there's, there's some dra drastic differences and I don't know how much of it we've imposed upon ourselves and how much of it we've, we've let society impose upon us. But you know, that would have probably taken place in the 40s.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Completely different mindset about everything in the 30s and 40s than there is today. Um, for one, the average person in the 30s and 40s, first of all, didn't really care what you did from a hunting perspective. Second, um, you know, you're talking about shortly after on the heels of the Great Depression and people were more worried about eating. Mm -hmm. Um, and today you're in a society where everything that you do is monitored, scrutinized. You've got, you know, all walks of, of life that will analyze and, and not just analyze they put, you know, their opinion is the most important opinion on the planet. So therefore if they don't like the way something looks to them, they go out of their way to denounce, humiliate, um, and talk you down for something that you did that you might have thought was perfectly fine. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I, I try to, as I start thinking about things like that, because we've had this discussion on the show, I'm not a big fan of people taking, you know, 30, 40-yard shots with tradition. really 40-yard plus shots with any bow gear or archery gear, but with traditional gear, you know, uh, 30 yards on an elk to me is is plenty far enough on whitetails it's ridiculous but how much of that am I really letting am I letting you know what what I fear the public perceiving bow hunters um and how much of that is based on my own desire for that's why I started hunting with traditional gear I wanted it to be a personal experience I wanted to get up close um, but at the same time, I recognize that other people may not feel that way. So
0: I, I don't know. That's a tangent. I know. I'm I don't, I, I totally tangent, get what, but... I totally get what you're saying. You actually, you, you said a couple important things there. Uh, for one, you're talking about the forties or even before. And think about how much has changed in 10 years. Think about how much has changed in five years. Especially with social media. Now that everything's aired out in the open and all of our lives are online. I have a really hard time comparing today's... The way... Today's perceptions with the perceptions of back in the day. Especially that far back. Especially when you're dealing with like... I mean... Like when I read... I I think you and I used to joke about hunting the hard way all the time. How you read it and like you said it's almost unbelievable like you're like that can't be right he's exaggerating and i thought the book was extremely braggadocious when i read it i ended i gave it away um and then this article you know one of the things john says is he says some people have have claimed that howard was a was a braggart, and that's not the case he was one of the most humblest men on the planet he just did what he did and he told it as he did it and he did some exce- And he was Go and ahead. he was just that good he did some exceptional things i mean you're talking about the guy that did trick shooting in Errol and Errol flynn movies with both blunts and broadheads in one quiver and could remember which was which actually shooting at people running around with bamboo armor <laughs> and making sure he had the broadheads that could stick into the door and the and the, and the blunts that could go into the bamboo armor <laughs> this is an exceptional man like this is not he's almost superhero status this is not the same thing this is a guy who lived and breathed and this was his job and this is what he did and and it was a different time I mean you you look back at you know people like to read um, the witchery of archery that's pure barbarism in that book if you, the kind of stuff they did but it's still a good read and you got to think about back when that was written after the civil war well, i mean yeah i mean they, they, <laughs> you know nobody cared about that i mean you know yeah but,
1: it, but again it goes it goes back to the same thing like you know the depression
0: the, yeah they were, they were concerned about having a full belly they, they exactly this uh, this wasn't this wasn't a, a pastime right you know like so it's a different thing altogether you can't really judge that um but i, I get what you say to me it seems unbelievable that somebody would be up in the mountains and take 185 shot and the arrow would even get there let alone whatever but you know you got a man who has got a finely tuned setup with extremely heavy more than most people would shoot and is probably one of the finest instinctive or the finest instinctive shooter that ever lived. So, I mean, it, it's really hard to, it, you almost don't want to say, yeah, but he's Howard Hill, but it's kind of that way, you know, It if it was comfortable to him and he could do it repeatedly, what am who am I to say that he's not ethical? I guess that's my point.
1: Yeah, but, but. you know what's, and there's, there's, there's another aspect to this. And I want to bring it up, but you, you mentioned that about the heavy bows and that's something that I think is, is pretty, a bit funny here. Um. And you know I've I've had my share of heated discussions. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that with people about you know I I do shoot heavier bows than, than most people, um, and I do it comfortably. Um, am I the best shot in the world? No, I'm not the best shot in the world. But I, I typically hit where where I'm looking. Um, typically, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's funny when you think about Howard Hill, John Schultz, um. uh uh, byron ferguson and there's one more well even ron leclerc i mean these guys when they were doing their exhibition shooting and their trick they're shooting heavy bows Mm -hmm. um uh i think the last time that i talked to byron he was still shooting a 78 80 80 pound longbow yep um so you know i just think it's funny that you bring up anything over 55 pounds Today and people just read you the Riot Act and instead of just saying you know shoot what you want kind of thing. But sorry, as the tangent there, just you said that it made me think about it. And I wanted to bring it up, but we're as we talk about you know the things that you know you and I have talked about and joked about and how how it's changed so much between the times of you know Howard Hill or. or saxton pope i mean how much it's changed between those times and and today then you're sitting there and you you read further in this article and you've got john schultz talking about um how he's got very strong feelings about Bo hunter image Mm -hmm. and he's relating it and i don't again i don't want to read it word, word, but he's relating it to a a breed of sloppy and i think he calls it
0: sloppy looking dudes uncouth (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and
1: it's it's kind of funny, and and I'm sitting there reading that, and I'm thinking, uh, there's a part of me that feels that way about somebody taking a 185 yard shot at a at an elk with a longbow. So it's it it's just I don't know, and I'm and I'm not saying I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's kind of odd how feelings and perceptions change. He makes that you know he makes a statement like that, and then somewhere again in this article he may he also makes the statement when he when he takes an animal he kills it it's not a harvest and it's kind of, it, I don't know it's like I said it's just really I think it's kind well, of strange the different dichotomies you've got there with people talking about taking hunt you know two hundred yard shots at live animals with a longbow and then he's then he close he's talking about a different breed of slob hunter later and those slob hunters he's talking about, we would probably not think twice if we saw them today through our filters.
0: Does that make sense? Th- that does make sense. And I think, though, I do want to read this one section just because I think since we're talking about it, I that, hope
1: I didn't steal something.
0: That from we should know you did not. But, um, there's a, there's a this is, on, on the part of, uh, later in the article, he's talk, he talks about, give us some of your thoughts on bow, Gene asked him, give us some of your thoughts on bow hunting today. And I mean, he starts off with, I've never been known as a fence straddler, so there's no need for changing now. High tech makes me want to divorce myself from archery. So, I mean, you already know this is going to be a strong opinionated article, all right? <laughs> yeah, this, right. this was back in 1994. <laughs> so, I mean, he's talking about, like, he hates military camouflage. So that's where we're at here okay um <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't
1: even got into
0: we, exactly we, we're not
1: even approaching uh mossy oak and real tree and and no. the, the camo of the month it's it's military camo. Yep. <laughs> exactly he says i
0: used to think it's strange when howard mellowed toward killing game now i'm beginning to understand i still love bow hunting but anymore the kill is just the frosting on the cake i have some very strong feelings on bow hunter image I can't relate to the new breed of sloppy-looking dudes who pass themselves off as slobs. Many of them are good hunters and fine shots, yet they don't seem to care how they appear to be to the non-hunting public. It's almost as if it was cool to appear as an uncouth slob. I've, been, <laughs> I've seen them sitting on the back of a pickup in full camo, face-painting all, road hunting. What are they using for brains? Maybe those deer can't see them in the bed of the pickup truck? <laughs> <laughs> and see that, and, and that's exactly, and again, I mean, I'm glad I, you I, kind I, of read it, because
1: uh, I, I, as I'm reading through this, I, I read that, and then I went, wait a minute, isn't this the same guy that was talking about Howard taking 185-yard shots? Um, and it, I don't remember it, if yeah. that's in this in this, in this article or in, in John Schultz's book, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Well, I do want uh, to say
0: one more thing about that, though, and the reason why you, you're thinking, um, you think, why does this guy have such an issue with this? and he talks about this draws from Howard he says he says we won the national bow, bow hunt several times against major bow company teams we were the only team that never wore military camo i abhor military camo somebody did a whale of a marketing job on that stuff <laughs> <laughs> what, what, this sounds like jason sam <laughs> One one fellow I know even wears camo underwear. Any observant follower of Howard Hill would be quick to note he always looked neat and well dressed, even in hunting camp. Hill had class. You'll never see me in military camo unless they dress me in it for my funeral. <laughs> but it's a good point he talks about. And if you see pictures of Howard Hill, he looks and dresses like a movie star. He's always in well he's clean cut everything's tucked in he's got slacks on i mean it just a different a different time and i never i never really thought that that was calculated by howard i figured that's just how everybody dressed back then but that's not the case so i just thought that was interesting that it was uh,
1: you know yeah you but you, you got to remember man you Slobs and bums are nothing new. I mean, no. So, it, 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 I definitely think, but you also have to understand, too, especially, you know, once, once Howard became recognized, I mean, he was, I won't say he was famous, but he was pretty close in his time. I mean, he was well known for Robin Hood. He was, uh was it chesterfield cigarettes he was the i mean he was like a model for for cigarette ads he was in
0: a lot um, of advertisements i'm shocked right. like he was like the michael jordan like right. he was in everything then but yeah the the chesterfield cigarettes i thought was pretty pretty funny i don't know but so
1: anyway that the the article and i will put a link um to the show notes we may end up bouncing back to this again in a minute but uh um i do there is a still a couple more things i want to make sure that we do cover um so the uh john schultz did have a he did write a a book and it's honestly and truly have you ever read it nick hitting, i have not but, like howard hill
0: i have not but i want to really bad i read byron ferguson's book but i have not read i've not read his yet
1: so if you could find a copy um or the next time you come down here to hunt or fish you could actually sit down and read this thing in about 30 minutes it's it's really more like a uh, oversized pamphlet than it is a book it's it's not overly large mm-hmm. um, but you know he talks about he talks about Howard a good bit it's definitely a good read um, I actually enjoyed reading this more than I did um, hunting the hard way um, but he and then he also did a, a a video I think it's like a 45 minute video you can actually still find the video on YouTube it's in four. Segments on YouTube, uh, and I'll make sure I put you know links to the show notes to that as well, where you can actually go in and and he he shows you how to shoot like Howard Hill shot, and that's the way you know he shot. And we're gonna actually we will go back to the article because there's something else I wanted to mention in there. And I would say I probably shoot more like John Schultz talks about than anything any anybody else or any other method um i do shoot predominantly straight limb asls hill style bows um when i'm shooting whether i'm on the ground in a stand on the range i'm typically i don't take and poke my bow arm out grab the string and pull the string back i do that as a as an exercise when i'm in my house if i'm trying to uh, maintain or build strength for some of the heavier bows that I do when I'm shooting I'm actually looking at the target bringing my bow hand up as I draw the string all you know both hands are moving so somewhat as I come to anchor the really the biggest difference for me I hold longer I burn I really try to burn a you know a hole in the spot I want to hit and I'm holding I don't snap shoot I never have um I can but I never really snap shoot as a process, I usually hold a little bit longer. Um, but even in this, in this article, it mentions that he taught, and so he taught several of these people that I'll mention, them. but then these people kind of went and took that method and modified it and came up with their own shooting technique is what he says. I haven't asked any of these individuals that. So, but he mentions, um, Fred Asbell. He mentions our buddy Paul Bruner, who we we had on the show. Um, Bob Wesley. Um, Bob Wesley was another very successful um, tournament shooter and hunter. Um, And what's funny about Bob Wesley, I've owned three Schultz Longbows in my life. The one that you have now. um, I actually owned a um, Schultz Longbow that I think was made by Dan, if I remember correctly. It wasn't John that made that bow. It had Dan's name on it, I think. Um, but it was the bow that was um, built for Bob Wesley after he won the 1984 World Championship. That bow was 85 at 28. And it was it was an American longbow, but it was named something like Dark Angel or something like that. Um, it was a very odd name on that bow. Very beefy grip. Um and I believe it pulled more than eighty five pounds. It was it was a stout bow. And I sold that bow and I can't remember who I sold it to. Um and then the heaviest bow I've ever owned was a uh Schultz Trophy Hunter and it was a hundred and two at twenty eight. And uh Steve Teray, actually as far as I know, he still owns that bow. I I traded did some trading with him for that bow. Several years back, and as far as I know, he still has it. He's a big uh, Howard Hill and John Schultz fan too. So, but I thought it was pretty cool that those names were mentioned in this article.
0: Mm-hmm. It is actually pretty fascinating too uh, when he gets into the to the real Howard Hill method that he taught because it was straight from Howard and he preserved it to what people say Howard shot liked. Um, he's pretty emphatic about it. If you read this whole thing, he's—he's. He's, you can tell he definitely does not like misinformation about the way Howard Howard did things. Um, he and he only knew how to do it one way because he was taught by Howard Howard's way. So, it's interesting. Now, have you
1: have you seen the videos? I've
0: seen the videos. Okay. Yep, yep the videos are great. Like they're, they're they're classic.
1: They're they're great as long as you recognize them for what they are. Exactly. they were, they were released on vhs tape as far and it may not have even been on vhs tape i I honestly don't know um but whoever had this took that that you know old not so great anymore footage and turned it into a a video file and uploaded it to youtube so it's definitely usable um, but it's it's not great video quality you know, it's but the same still cool to watch
0: it's the same as the fred the fred bear anthology or the volumes it's 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 similar to similar to that um but look actually a little lower in production but it it's it's fun i like that stuff sometimes though because you just it feels old looks old like it's just you get back in that mindset and get back to that time so i don't mind that at all but definitely worth checking out and uh again yeah we'll link that so you definitely should but you wanted to look at something else in here what was that
1: uh you know what i'm honestly not i'm not sure there was so much of it we've we've kind of i think we've kind of bounced around and talked about most of it um you know i know that uh and i think uh uh darren over at um traditional archery society had some it was some way involved in this i know that you know fairly recently in the last few years you know john came out and did some limited edition bows and recreated the i think it was the grandma bow that howard shot or something like that i honestly and truly i looked at the prices and said well i can't afford that uh but i did see one or two of them and they were just absolutely gorgeous bows uh he was a firm believer in in bamboo i think all of his all of his later bows were uh, bamboo cores under black or brown glass um yep anyway and then he he, uh
0: then he then later on he switched to all wood bows and was just backing with a bamboo, and maintained that those were his were his best. Um, but that's in here too. This is it is a really great. Gene, Gene wrote an exceptional article here. Like this is he tells some stories before he gets into the interview too, about hunting with John. And it's definitely worth checking out. I'm got'm gl- I'm, gl- I'm happy I found it because it's, I am it's, too.
1: I was. I loved
0: reading it. It's almost. It's almost the the quintessential Cliff Notes on John Schultz. Like, it's everything in one spot. So yeah, totally cool.
1: And it and it's not a short article. Nope. In fact, that's when when you sent me the link this morning, I I kind of clicked it, opened it up, and and did a Control P to send it to the printer and. I went back to, I was, I was, I was working at the time, so I went back to work, and uh, I think it was when I stopped for lunch, I walked by and grabbed it off the printer, and I thought, something's wrong. Why is it so much paper?
0: You better, you better it's, put, it's you better, a long article. you better put a cover on that. <laughs> That's right. Uh,
1: yeah, so, you know, what's funny is I've actually sat here, and I've, I've made some uh, highlighter marks and so forth, uh, just so I'd have some notes, you know, for tonight. I think I'm gonna print another copy of it, and actually store it away and i've got to find you know while we're on this this topic i do want to bring this up a little bit real quick it's it's not directly related to john schultz so i apologize for going a little bit off off topic or off theme here but uh two other bows that i have um, that a lot of people have never heard of are uh, the old timer bows made by tom cole
0: oh very cool
1: and i posted a picture of one the other day and actually i was very surprised that um you know somebody figured out you know who it was because the two bows that i've got one of them is a true asl um d style howard hill style longbow looks just like any howard hill bow it's got the d core the the limb it got a good b- bit of back set to it and it it shoots really well and really hard um and then the other one that I've got, Justin Newell actually sold me this one, and I don't even remember where he picked it up, or I don't know if it was one of the later bows that Tom Cole made or one of the newer ones, but it's completely different. It's a, it's a flat, I mean, it's got a hill ASL-style handle, but the limb profile is almost like a St. Charles. Um, flat limb, um, not really a ton of back set to it, com- shoots completely different. Both of them shoot well, but they just shoot, they feel differently, you know, on the draw and on the shot. But uh, Tom Cole, I, I was actually doing a little research about trying to possibly track him down to see if, you know, he was still around, see if he'd be on the show and found out that he actually passed away a few years ago. Um, and I've got Justin Newell, when he sent me this, when I bought this bow from him, he also sent me a couple of magazines and I had misplaced them. I don't know where the heck I put them. Uh, but, but Tom was actually part of a, a large traditional archery group up in Pennsylvania. And they actually did a magazine publication for a while called Longbow. Hmm. And he sent me a couple copies of it and I've got to find them cause I'm, I'm almost positive. There's, there's some stuff in there that I'd, I'd like to bring out and talk about, you know, on the podcast sometime. But here's the, and the reason I'm going, so I will tie all this back together. It was funny as I was looking through this article, um, that that gene had written back in 94 found out something else that john schultz and tom cole had in common they were both ordained ministers really um which i thought i and i let me put it this way i'm almost positive that tom cole was an ordained minister i know he was uh he was an official within uh the church i just i don't know that it was specifically an ordained minister but when i saw that uh john schultz was i thought that's just kind of unique that that kind of ties both of those guys together uh and i haven't i've never been able to learn as much about tom cole as i as i do know about john schultz but uh anyway just thought that was kind of cool that they both had that uh in their in their background
0: there's so much uh there's so much character and history and romance to those hill style bows that's was that's always what you know just drawn me to them um but that that uh you posted that you posted that tom cole in the group and uh Man, that bow's got character to it. I mean, it's just, it just—it just tells a story when you look at it, you know. And and it, it does feel different when you're in the woods with a with a, a hill style. It's it's hard to explain. Like it just feels like the most natural thing in the world. But
1: you know the last the last time I shot in the um, Georgia State shoot the um, uh, Dan Quillian shoot, uh, a friend of mine from. So Georgia has two primary, there's more than two, but there's two real primary traditional archery groups. There's North Georgia traditional, which you've been on that club. Mm -hmm. And there's South Georgia traditional archery and primitive skills, which is, I don't know, it's probably two and a half hour drive from here. It's, you know, much more, uh, Southern focused. And there's a lot of really cool guys, uh, in that group as well. Hatchet bow Dan, I would. Lo- I'm gonna find a way to get Dan on the podcast. Um, but Dan will. I've seen him sit there. In fact, Bella's got one of his bows. That he'll take a, a piece of osage and a hatchet, and he'll go to work. And um, shortly, he'll he'll turn a bow out that you can shoot with a hatchet, and that's kind of his nickname, Hatchet Bow Dan. Um, huh. But there's another guy, Barry Dugan, who walked up to me at the state shoot, and he said, "Look, um, a buddy of mine." had this bow and he hands me this bow and he says, it's just too heavy for him to shoot. No, you, you would shoot it. You know, would you be interested in it? We went back and forth, finally settled on a price. Wasn't much. And I bought that bow. Um, and it, I'll be honest. It was a, it was a hunter's bow. It looked like, it looked like it had taken more trips down out of a tree stand through gravity than anything else. Um, (laughs) when I got it and I shot the course with that bow and, lord knows the arrows i was shooting out of it were mismatched because when i finally got home put it on the scale it came out at 86 at 28 it's a beast but i actually i think i finished up in like the top 10 from that shoot with a bow i'd never shot before and completely mismatched arrows but buddy it was flat out slinging them i mean they were just they were smoking and I brought it home, and somehow uh, Justin, and I don't even remember the guy's name now. uh, I'd have to go try to track him down and look him up. There's a guy up in Alaska that will refinish bows. He does a lot of refinishing work on music instruments and stuff like that. And Justin said, you need to send that bow and have him refinish it. So I did. And when I sent that bow to him, the only markings you could find on the bow at all was just, I mean, you had to almost strain to see the word Tom Cole uh, just below the leather grip on the riser. And when it came back to me, this bow looks like Tom Cole himself finished it last week and mailed it to me um he recreated the signature perfectly the finish is just immaculate you could you could shave in the mirror finish on this thing if you had enough if it had enough surface area (laughs) i mean it's just it did a beautiful job um and in fact it was kind of intimidating when it came back to me because he doesn't you know put the grips or the the strike plate or any of that back on it and i i spent probably a couple of hours total putting a new leather wrap on that bow without the stitching and the old true um you know hill style where it just kind of meets at the front and mm-hmm. it, there's no stitch and actually it turned out it looks honestly i think it it looks probably as good or better than the fact you know the original one that was on it when i got it so i'll have to post some pictures of that one in a day or two because it I, as pretty as the one i posted the other day is this one's to me is even even more gorgeous
0: so very cool.
1: Well, brother, we said we were going to keep this to 45 minutes or so, and we're we're ticking past the hour mark now, so I guess we probably should wrap this up. But, again, if you if you have not heard or, or know little about John Schultz, check out the show notes for this episode. Go out there and, and do a little research. And if you do know who he is, if you haven't seen these before, go out and read them. If you've seen them or read them, check them out again. John was a... Uh, a pioneer in his own right uh, in our sport, and um, at least us us hill shooters owe a lot to to Howard Hill and to to John Schultz. Well, Mister Nick, I appreciate it, buddy.
0: Yeah, me too. It was fun.
1: I wish you the best of luck this weekend. I hope you get a bruiser.
0: Yeah, you which, too, man. Which bow you taking? oh i gotta take that one now i gotta take uh we never did name that bow did we we just called it uh we always just call it the schultz
1: yeah it's always it's always been just the schultz
0: yeah and uh yeah i i I gotta take that one now it'll be it'll be a good one to open up with i think too so go
1: get it bloody man
0: yeah i hope so
1: again it's 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 been on a it's been on a dry spell
0: yeah, I, if i'd known
1: you weren't gonna kill anything with it i wouldn't let you take
0: you <laughs> well i did bring it i did bring it to georgia a couple of times one time you tossed it into the gravel
1: uh, well if you if, if you could string your own bow that wouldn't well, happen. you were
0: you're trying to, te- to teach me how to string it <laughs> yeah i yeah. probably
1: put a scratch or two on it but that's just character
0: right? oh it's got lots of character yeah it's it's great so I anyway. think I've
1: got a. I think I've got a picture somewhere of. The, uh, maybe I'll use that as the. If, if you don't, I do. Picture for the episode of of <laughs> me having to string Nick's bow for him.
0: That's the, the, pretty sad. The the lever method. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, brother. Well, I do appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll figure out something to chat about, and uh, we'll try to we'll try to get something on the live feed here going pretty soon. I think both of us are are ready to do it. We just got to sit down and do a. Maybe we'll do a trial run and, and then shortly we'll have a we'll have a episode of the podcast that we actually do as a as a live feed as well. So until next time everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to go out and give us a, a review on iTunes, leave a comment and we will be giving away some of those strike plates and air rests from Blood Brother Forge real soon. Take care all.